0: Today we begin a new preaching series on the Gospel of John, uh, but not the whole Gospel of John. Um, A guy called John Piper started a series on John's Gospel in 2008, and he's still preaching it. And uh, so for your benefit and for your patience, we're going to preach just the prologue of the Gospel of John. That's all right. There we are. Uh, The prologue is uh, the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. We're going to be preaching through that for the next uh, 10 weeks or so, uh, up until Christmas. And uh, it's great to see how um, our worship uh, fits, uh, some of the contributions that are brought fit uh, what we're going to be looking at today, because uh, that that gives me uh, courage to really push uh, this home. John's Gospel, um, written uh, by one of Jesus' closest friends, if not his closest friend. And in the prologue, he's telling us beforehand what he's going to say through the whole Gospel. It's not like um, keeping you in suspense right to the end, no, no. Uh, there's a spoiler right at the start, and that's what we're going to look at today. So uh, we, before we go any further, if you've got uh, a, a Bible with you, uh, please please turn to uh, John chapter one. We're going to read verses one to eighteen, and uh, if you haven't brought a Bible, as a, as a punishment, uh, I've made the font very very small. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. To the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. There's a theologian that some of you may have read. You may even have his commentaries, uh, Don Carson. And he writes, uh, John's prologue is like a foyer. <laughs> a foyer. <laughs> you were waiting outside to come in here to worship God. And, and he'd say, well, it's like waiting outside, uh, ready to go in uh, to the rest of John's gospel, simultaneously drawing the reader in and introducing the major themes Many of the central thematic words of this gospel are first introduced in the verses. Life, light, witness, true, uh, in the sense of genuine and ultimate, and glory and truth. But supremely, the prologue summarizes how the Word was with God in the very beginning Came into, and how he came into the sphere of time, history, and tangibility. Tangible. Touched. In other words, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history, so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed the rest of the book is nothing other than an expansion of this theme and because of that we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks looking at what John says in the prologue and we will be looking also what happens in the rest of the gospel to help us understand that so who who was John Uh, is he the John of verse six Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John Well, it may be that John, uh, who likes to play with languages, is actually playing a game there. But no, we know that this John that he's talking about is actually John the Baptist. Uh, He never calls him John the Baptist as such. He says that John came baptizing later on, but John testified saying, and we know from that that it is John the Baptist. In fact, John never actually talks about himself as John in his own gospel. He always refers to John the Baptist as John and himself as sometimes the disciple that Jesus loved or uh, the other disciple. Uh, And it's fairly clear from the context when John is talking about himself. John was an eyewitness and he was one of the first disciples. Um, He was one of Jesus' three inner group Peter, James, and John. Often Jesus takes them away and gives them special attention. Peter, James, and John were all fishermen. And James and John uh, worked in one business and Peter and Andrew uh, worked in another. But uh, James and John worked for their father Zebedee. And so they're often referred to as the sons of Zebedee. Um, It's time for bed. Uh, some people know that. what yeah. that means. There's a whole generation here that have not seen the, the magic roundabout. That didn't get that. Um, Jesus, uh, in fact, uh, the Gospels play with this term, son of, son of, son of. Uh, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus called them the sons of thunder. This is quite interesting because uh, John is actually referred to historically as the apostle of love. Well, listen to this. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus is on his way to die in Jerusalem and he plans to pass through a Samaritan village. But it says here, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading towards Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. This is James and John, the sons of thunder. But this is John who became known as the apostle of love. In fact, tradition has it that John's final words were, Little children love one another. John is also one of the twelve, he's one of the three, he's one of the twelve, the twelve apostles specifically chosen because they had been with Jesus from the beginning, and they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. He does describe himself as the disciple Jesus loved, and he was very close to Jesus. In fact, at the Last Supper, John is able to lean back and ask Jesus a question, Uh, he's that close. He saw Jesus crucified, he saw him die, he saw him dead, buried, he saw him raised to life and he saw him ascend into heaven. He saw a lot and he wants what he saw to carry some weight with us this morning. Uh, So John's Gospel was probably written sometime between AD 55 and AD 90, say AD AD 80, we don't know for sure. Uh, There is a famous fragment, I think I showed you a few weeks ago, uh, there's a famous fragment that's about, uh, it's reckoned by many to be from AD 125. Um, And John also wrote three letters, one, two, and three, John, and the last book of the Bible, uh, the, the book of Revelation. So why, why did John write so much? Why did he write so much? Well, believing in Jesus and obeying his teaching are big issues for John. You can see that uh, even in, in verse 7 there, John the Baptist came to witness concerning the light so that through him all might believe. And then you see that verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Jesus in John chapter 14 says, anyone who loves me Will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And when we read a passage like that, it's very easy to say, is that about me? Does that mean that God is going to teach me everything? Uh, But when Jesus says that in John 14, he's talking to his disciples, including John. He's saying to John, uh, you're going to remember the things that I said and did. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you with that. And perhaps if we want to understand why John wrote, it's that he's carrying the weight of these things that Jesus said and did. He knows that in believing in Jesus, people have life in his name. And it's probably easiest for us to look at another example of an incident in John's gospel in John chapter twenty. I don't know if you struggle with doubts about who Jesus is or why he came, but some of his closest friends had doubts. In fact, one of them has a nickname, "Doubting Thomas," because he didn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Uh, if Doubting Thomas, one of the twelve, cannot understand that Jesus is, and believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, what, what hope do we have, quite frankly? So let's let's just read. The story john chapter 20 and we'll pick it up at verse 24 now thomas also known as didymus one of the 12 was not with the disciples when jesus came this is when jesus appeared after he had been raised from the dead so the other disciples told him we've seen the lord but he said unless i see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the same house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, "Uh Uh-oh. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe Thomas said to him my Lord and my God Thomas said to him my Lord and my God now just as an aside that is not as the Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you that he's saying OMG (laughs) he's not saying oh my God no he is addressing Jesus as my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus did many other things many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's why John wrote. He wrote for you, actually. He wrote so that you could read what he'd written about Jesus and that you would believe. And we have even Jesus' word for it that that should be enough. Thomas didn't believe what the disciples had told him and Jesus rebukes him. He says, well, you've seen and so you've believed. But blessed, blessed are those... Who have not seen and have yet believed. See, we say seeing is believing, but believing is also seeing. John says, We saw, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. And if you believe what we've written, you will see it too. And you will have eternal life. I think it's really exciting that the first people that picked up and read John's Gospel are just as close to the events as we are. Because they have the same eyewitness testimony. John said, I saw this. You can believe it. And 1900 years later, we read the same words. We even have a little piece of parchment from AD 125, an early, very early copy of what John wrote. Just a little fragment, but it's consistent with what we know of John's Gospel. The people that read that whole papyrus, they could read what jesus said and did and they could believe in his name and have life and we can pick up the same john's gospel this morning read the same account and god can bless us so that we have life in jesus name that is absolutely brilliant i hope you're excited about this i'm (coughs) really excited to be doing this with john this morning His heart for you was that you would read and believe and have life. I just want to pray. Father, thank you that Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And Father, these eyes of ours have not seen Jesus. So we want to borrow John's eyes. We want you to show us through John's eyes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We want you to take away all doubt. Jesus, you commanded Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And Father, we want our response to Jesus this morning to be the same as Thomas. My Lord and my God. And Father, we know that that pleases you when we address Jesus as God, you are pleased. You don't want our worship to be half-hearted or in fear of blasphemy. You want us to tell it as it is. We've been singing about it already. Our God is greater. Water he turned into wine. So help us now. Open our eyes. Help us to use Mark's eyes. Help us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have faith in him, and as we do that, have life in his name. Okay, back to the prologue. Then You thought that was it, didn't you? You thought, Phil's lost it, and that's a short sermon from Phil. No, we are, we are going to be going uh, back to, to verse 1 and 2. Um, the prologue um, does read like poetry. I think that's because... Um, uh, it's intentional, it's probably lost in, in the, you know, because we translated it from Greek into English, but you can see there's a, an amount of word play can I say, there's, there's also creative use of words uh, words that appear a lot, like word God beginning, made darkness light life all the way through these words are used uh, repetitively uh, to help us uh, understand i think it's to help us uh, remember uh, poetry is sometimes easier to remember isn't it than than just r- straight prose and uh, it, it's also there to help us meditate on it in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning uh there's, there's also there's a, just a lovely structure to that isn't there there's uh, in the beginning in the beginning it's all sort of tied together and and there's a lot you could read actually about the structure now we're going to destroy that a little bit because we're going to be working through it in fairly small chunks Um, but one of uh, the marks says john piper of this gospel is that the weightiest doctrines are often delivered with the simplest words Uh, this could not get simpler and yet it could not get any weightier the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, was and is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Poetry, memorable words, <laughs> It's a bit like when we sing, isn't it? Some people say our, our singing is very repetitive. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Scripture is repetitive. It helps us uh, remember. What's important is uh, what we sing is true. And uh, we, we try to guard that really, really well here, that what we sing, you might think it's repetitive, um, but it's important that it is True. And uh, so in these very simple words, uh, there are truths that boggle the smartest believing minds. How is that possible, to be with God and to be God at the same time? It's a bit like uh, this equation, isn't it? Um, E equals mc squared. It's uh, Einstein's uh, equation of energy mass equivalence Everyone knows E equals MC squared. Uh, There's probably a handful of people, or one or two people in the room, that could even get anywhere towards explaining what that means. You can write it down in just one, two, three, four, five symbols, and people spend their lives trying to understand it, to prove it, to disprove it. Uh, We have spent billions of euros. Uh, building big machines to explore this. Uh, but much more the expression in the beginning was God was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John says this is the first thing I want you to get. There's the prologue, which is about eighteen verses of what i'm going to tell you but before we go anywhere he says do you know what the most important thing for you to get as we start out on this journey in john's gospel is that jesus was with god in the beginning and that jesus is god that's a bit bit of a spoiler isn't it some of the other gospels will leave you waiting mark leaves you almost right to the end but John says, I want you to get this up front. I want you to be wowed. I want you to be awestruck. I want you to be bowled over by who Jesus is. So I'm just going to break this up into four sections. We're going to talk about the Word. Uh, we're going to talk about in the beginning. We're going to talk about with God and was God. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word. Just a, an aside, uh, when we say the Word, uh, we're not talking about the Scriptures. That's a, a, a phrase that generally uh, we, we, we sometimes use. The Scriptures almost use that phrase itself um, a little bit, uh, but it can turn into a bit of a jargon. We say, you know, come and sit down and show me in the Word of God. Um, and that's true. It is the Word of God. It's, uh, it's also described as the sword of the Spirit, Uh, But here we're talking about uh, the Word as a concept of a person. Supremely a person. And John Piper would say the most important thing we understand about the Word is in verse 14. The Word became flesh. Now... um, of course, in this series, I'm in danger at the beginning on treading on everyone else's toes because other people are preaching on I can tread on my own toes at this point because, uh, God willing, um, John chapter 1, verse 14 is what I will be preaching on in a few, time, few weeks' time. Um, the Word became flesh, said John Piper, is the most important thing for us to grasp about the Word. And Don Carson says, The Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed. The Word became flesh. But why Word? Well, it's, it's not just John that uses this language. If we turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, some of you probably jumped ahead. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 the writer says in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe the son Um, that knock on your door that will tell you that Jesus is an angel or he was the first thing that God created. Uh, The Bible doesn't teach that. Can I just be clear about that? The Bible teaches that Jesus is God and that Jesus was there in the beginning with God before there was anything Uh, The people that knock on your door will will bring their own translation of the Bible and uh, they will read to you from it. And they will read sections like Colossians 1. And they will go to Colossians 1 and they will say, well, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created. Uh, This is an early edition. I I collect versions of the Bible because I think it's useful to know how well people translate or how well they don't. And in this translation, uh, they've inserted the word other. There is no reason to put the word other in there. It's not in the Greek. This later edition is a little bit more honest, and you can have a look at this later if you like. Um, it, It has the word other in square brackets to to acknowledge that the word wasn't there in the Greek, but we think it should be there. But can you see how that makes quite a difference to the way that we read the Bible? And when we get to John chapter 1, verse 1, they don't say the word was God. They say the word was a God. Again, the Greek doesn't do that, but we're running ahead. In these last days, God has spoken by his Son. God has spoken. God spoke in the past, by prophets, and in various ways. That's what the writers of the Hebrews, but in these last days, he has spoken by his Son. God's nature, his being, his character, are all expressed in the being, nature, and character of Jesus They're veiled, but they are there. And they are in what God did through Jesus and what God said through Jesus. God spoke. He revealed. He brought us a message. He brought us the ultimate message. The book of Hebrews is is basically saying, and this was God's final word. This was the last word. This was the ultimate word. There was nothing more that could be said After Jesus had come, after Jesus had come, it had all been expressed. If you wanted to know God, you just had to look at Jesus. And Jesus was God. Jesus is the message, the word. Logos is the Greek word. Logos. And as Carson was saying, he was tangible. You didn't just see him. You didn't just hear him. You could touch him. And that's what John says in his first letter. If you want to turn to 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's the last word. Uh, If there's another prophet that comes after Jesus and says, I've got more to tell you, he's a false prophet. Because the last word has been given. Jesus is the final word. He is the word of God. Just for example and it's interesting that we uh, we sang this. Um, wasn't what I was thinking. If you want to know the character of God as far as his love goes, if you want to know about the love of God, uh, we, it was quoted to us, uh, John chapter three, verse sixteen, perhaps the most famous. Verse in the Bible: For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you want to know the love of God, it's expressed in terms of Jesus. But did you know that one John three sixteen is also very helpful? It's very easy to remember, isn't it? Just add a one. One John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. This is how we know. This is how we know what love is. And and uh, Matt Redman in that song does does that amazing thing. He actually takes those two scriptures and he intertwines them. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Okay, let's press on. In the beginning. In John's time, there was a translation of uh, the Old Testament that uh, everyone used. Uh, It's uh, it's called the Septuagint. Um, It's it's, uh, it's actually given shorthand LXX, which is Roman numerals for 70 because it was uh, supposed, I think, to have been Uh, translated by 70 scribes Uh, and it was in common use uh, and and quite often when you find quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament it's it's based on LXX Um, and uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 begins with the same two words as John's gospel in the beginning. Um, I don't think we're stretching it to say that what John is talking about here is the creation Um, because he's using the same words as Genesis chapter 1. Actually, we know he's thinking about that, because by verse 3, he talks about the creation, and he talks about Jesus' role in the creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, you don't need to be a Greek scholar on your doorstep with a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, You can just say, well, what does it say here? It says, through him all things were made. Okay, and they'll say, well, God made him first. And they'll try and add that word other. But John takes away this possibility because he says, without him, nothing that was made was made. In the beginning, Jesus was there. Through him, all things were created. If you're a created thing, if you're in the made category, then Jesus made you. Think about that. Was Jesus made? No. Because if that would put him in the made category, and he couldn't make himself. But John says, if it was made, Jesus made it. That means Jesus made you. That gives him some rights over you, actually. Jesus made you. And there are other hints in John's Gospel that Jesus is the Creator. Do you remember the first sign he does in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana in Galilee? Gallons of wine. Uh, They had a New Frontiers church there. (laughs) Was it vineyard? I don't know. Gallons and gallons of wine. Uh, Made from water. Now, wine is made from water um, it's sucked up into trees and uh, grapes grow and the grapes are taken and then they're crushed and, then, and wine is made but it takes time do you have a problem with God creating the world in six days? Jesus can make water into wine in an instant if he wants to the other hint that he is the creator, is what, did the, what was the assessment of this wine? It's okay. The best. The best. It was the best wine. And what does it say in Genesis 1 about the creation? God saw what he had made and it was very, very good. So there's an echo of creation. Jesus makes water into wine in an instant by his own command. God said, Let that water be put in those jars, and it was made into wine, and it was good. Behold, it was very good. What about the man born blind then, in John chapter 9? I don't know if you, you think well, that's a bit yucky. What does Jesus do? It's a bit weird, isn't it? He spits on the ground. You think that's oh, not very hygienic. And he makes some clay with the mud and what does he do he says oh, well, it seems your eyes aren't working um i'll just uh, patch them up with a bit of clay why is that significant because god made man out of the dust of the earth So when Jesus opens the eyes of the blind on that occasion, he says, I'll just let you know who's doing this. I've done this before and I can patch this up because I know what you're made of because I did it. This is our God. This is Jesus who was there in the beginning. And Jesus says that he was there in the beginning. You know, people say that Jesus never said, oh, I am God. But Jesus said lots of stuff that points to him being God. In John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, uh, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In the beginning was the word and then in verse 24 of chapter 17 Father I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world and somehow we should have done that because the in the beginning and the with God are connected and now we'll go to the biggie in the beginning was the word the word was his God and the word was God the word was with God relationship the word was God that's his very essence How can that be? Aren't these things mutually exclusive? How can you be with and be? Piper says that will always boggle the minds of believers. (laughs) Unbelievers are just going to scoff and mock it. (laughs) It's a big thing. We don't know it all. But the scripture teaches it Jesus asserts it, and we're to believe it. We are monotheists. There is one God. Uh, We are also Trinitarians. God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in relationship, before all time, before there was E equals MC squared. They thought it up together in relationship, and Jesus is God. And if we'd gone on in uh, Genesis 1, uh, we would have found that even there, there's the language, of, you know, there's the, the spirit hovering on the water, but there's also, when it comes to making man, God says, let us make Man in our own image. And, and some of the Hebrew scholars through the years, uh, not Christians, have said we think there is more to God than just one person. And uh, we know who he is. One divine essence. Three distinct persons in relationship with each other. From the beginning, before the creation of time and space and energy and matter. And they didn't need us What Anthony brought to us at the beginning to encourage us to worship is you know, God's not gonna love us more because we worship him more, because he needs it. He doesn't need it. <coughs> but he commands it for his glory. And they didn't create us because well they were feeling a bit lonely. No, they weren't lonely. Father, Son, and Spirit before all time were in perfect relationship and complete. And God chose for his own glory to create. And when people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, you just have to read the Bible um, because he did. And we know that it wasn't a mistranslation because people heard him as if he was saying, I am God. In fact, they they heard him so well that they thought this is blasphemy and we must kill him. And that's there in John's Gospel. Um, Jesus was doing stuff on the Sabbath John chapter 5, verse 16, the, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For, the reason, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, John chapter 8, verse 59, very famous. Um, Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. What? Before Abraham was, I am? You say, well, no, you're just loopy. Obviously, uh, Abraham was many hundreds of years ago, and you're here, and you don't look old enough for Abraham to know you. In fact, they were arguing this way, but... They said, to say I am like that is worthy of death. Why? Two little words in Greek, ego, amy. Why? Two little words. Because in their Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they went to Exodus chapter 3, and they read about the burning bush, they read, God said to Moses... I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus uses the words I am, he's saying more than I am. And they knew it because they knew the way he said it, they knew the context in which he said it, and so they picked up stones to stone him. Uh, And Jesus said, no, you've got the Greek wrong there. Um, And they said, that's fine, sorry, it's our mistake. No. They were deadly serious. And of course, we know that uh, John's Gospel is full of I am statements. And some of those I am statements are particularly interesting. uh, Because when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what did Revelation tell us? That God... Is the light of the new creation. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, you have to go back and you have to read Psalm 23, Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. And Jesus says, That's me. And when Ezekiel says that the people that are governing Israel, the priests, are like bad shepherds who are devouring the flock and when in Ezekiel 34 God says I will come and shepherd my people and Jesus stands up and says I am the good shepherd do you think he's claiming to be God I think so I am the way the truth the life no one comes to the father except through me saying stuff like this today will get you into trouble and in some parts of the world it will get you killed it nearly got jesus killed you could argue it did get jesus killed It's dangerous stuff, this, but it's the truth. And we need to be able to worship Jesus as God, as we have this morning, unreservedly. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to be saved, except to believe... In Jesus, as he has disclosed himself. And John says, the thing you need to know first about Jesus is that he was there in the beginning with God. And he was God. The word was with God, as God's eternal fellow. The Word was God, as God's own self. Jesus said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, no, no. Don't say that to me. No, he doesn't. Because he wants us to worship Jesus as God. He doesn't go around seeking the glory for himself. He seeks it for his Father. But just so you know, when you sing, this is our God, about Jesus, when you sing, water you turned into wine, our God is greater. You sing it with all your might because it's true and it's important that the world can hear it because it's the only truth. If you need to know enough about God to be saved, to have life by his name, then you have to know that Jesus is God. You have to confess Jesus As Lord, and that will change your life. Uh, Famous uh, cricketer and public school guy from the 1800s died in 1933, I think. uh, Famous uh, for giving up all his wealth and all his position and all his accolades as a sportsman. Um, Charles Thomas Studd, uh, very famous um, statement if Jesus Christ is God. And died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And there are people today in the world under sentence of death because they will not deny that Jesus is God.